Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We're In Social Work. Hello, I'm Charles Sims, one of the hosts of In Social Work. I'd like to take a moment to address you, our listeners. Thanks for downloading more than 400,000 of our podcasts. We'd like to know what you think of them. Please take a couple of minutes to tell us what you like or don't like about the podcast. If you're an educator and you're using our podcast in your courses, how are you using them in your teaching? If you're a professional practitioner, how have the podcasts influenced your work? We would also like to know what you'd like to see us do next. Go to our website at www.insocialwork.org and click on the Contact Us tab. We look forward to hearing from you. Again, thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. I'd like to be the first to announce that the University at Buffalo's podcast series in social work has been awarded a Peabody Award for Outstanding Achievement for Material Distributed via the World Wide Web. I'd also like to wish all of our listeners a happy April Fool's Day. I'm Peter Sabota. The Internet and social media have created all kinds of new opportunities for communication, relationships, and learning, to name but a few. The technology has also created opportunities for the misuse of these media across generations of students, both adults and children. In this episode, our guest, Dr. Janet Joyner, begins her conversation by discussing the phenomenon of cyberbullying behavior and later addresses the question of how modern technology can be integrated into social work practice and education. Dr. Joyner begins by defining cyberbullying, the role of humiliation in this activity, and why social work education and educators should see this as an important concern for our practice. She makes practical suggestions on how institutions of higher learning, as well as K-12, can educate students about cyberbullying, and specifically how schools of social work can play a role in educational opportunities and intervention with this problem. Dr. Joyner concludes by discussing some of the current research into the use of social media and technology in social work education and practice, and offers practical advice for students regarding their digital footprint and the implications for their professional practice and as a way to prevent being exploited by social media tools. Janet Joyner, PhD, is Assistant Dean for Student Affairs at the Wayne State University School of Social Work. She is interested in the areas of social entrepreneurship and social enterprise and the infusion of contemporary technology and direct social work practice in higher education. Dr. Joyner was interviewed by our own Tony Guzman, the Director of Online Programs here at the UB School of Social Work. Hello, my name is Tony Guzman and I am the Director of Online Programs at the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Here today to talk with me is Dr. Janet Joyner. She recently presented at the CSWE APM 2012 conference on the topic of cyberbullying. Dr. Joyner, thanks for joining us today to discuss these topics. Thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate the invitation. 
let's go ahead and start first with a, if you would, a definition of what is cyberbullying. There is no standard definition for cyberbullying, but I like to use or actually paste together a definition that was developed many, many years ago by the person that we consider the father of the cyberbully prevention movement, which is Bill Belsey. Mr. Belsey provided a definition that really focuses on the use of communication technologies such as cell phones, texting, picture messaging, tablets, iPads, laptops, desktops, and even social media, using those tools specifically for the purpose of targeting someone else for the purpose of humiliation. But why is it important that higher education institutions recognize cyberbullying, and in particular for schools of social work to learn more about it? This is an area that's virtually new. It's only been in, in place for maybe 10 years or less. And the use of social media is now fully embedded within our society as well as others across the world. So it's really important that as educators, we begin teaching our students responsible use of these tools and really viewing cyberbullying as a teachable moment. As we know, there is no shortage of examples involving cyberbullying on college campuses as well as K through 12. And really, in my experiences, I've even found students and others are oftentimes not even aware that their on-the-line behavior constitutes cyberbullying given the prevalence of online rating systems and opportunities to share opinions in open online forums. So really, as a result of that, I think it's important that we begin encouraging discussions within the college classroom as well as external about the use of technology as well as cyberbully prevention. I just think it prevents a wonderful opportunity for schools of social work as we continue to train students on issues impacting really diverse populations. Is cyberbullying something that only occurs within an online classroom environment? No, not at all. In fact, cyberbullying is much more broader. Cyberbullying, of course, can occur in online courses through blogging experiences, discussion boards, but I found it also most likely to occur in Facebook, Twitter, and even with emails that are shared. So no, not just within online courses, it's much broader. You made mention to this or referred to it slightly. Are there particular sites where cyberbullying is, if you will, propagated? Unfortunately, yes. And I say that with a heavy heart because they are growing every day. There are sites like RateMyProfessor.com, RateMyCaseWorker.com, there's Student Dude. There's, believe it or not, even a company called Masters of Revenge that allows people to pay a fee. And once they pay that fee, they can specifically decide if they want to harass someone by text or SMS, by email, through e-greeting cards, or even nuisance calls. So there are many sites out there that support this kind of behavior. That's so sad to hear. So then there was almost beg the question, should faculty avoid social media tools and, and that form of technology because of the potential of cyberbullying? No, I would say not. In fact, I would say the opposite, that faculty members should be encouraged to use social media because I think as faculty members, as well as staffers, not just faculty, but staff members also use it, we're much better able to communicate with students and also to direct their behavior. I really believe social media offers a multitude of benefits and opportunities that would allow us to better engage our students as well as our colleagues. And believe it or not, I even use it as a tool to inform students about 
key academic and social support services within our School of Social Work. I share financial aid opportunities, professional networking opportunities, and personally, I use it to learn about the world around me. So how and, if you will, when should we take the opportunity to educate students on cyberbullying? And by the when, I mean, is it something that only a college student, be it undergraduate or graduate level, should be aware of, or are there venues and or time frames that we should be focusing on educating our students? I would have to say the moment a student steps on campus, we should begin our cyberbully prevention and responsible use of social media campaign. That information should be readily available. When I say that information, I'm talking about social media policies that guide students as well as faculty and staff use of social media. But I think in terms of when it should occur, I believe really when it should occur is through orientation. When students are first invited to come on campus, as part of orientation, there should be discussions about responsible use of social media and technology. I'd also say while it may not be possible because I know that classroom content is very key and there's not a lot of time in which to discuss issues that are not textbook driven, but if at all possible, I would also encourage faculty to integrate discussions about cyberbully prevention and responsible use of social media directly within classroom lectures, especially as we talk about content involving mental health. Would there be opportunities for either social workers or social work students to be able to assist in, in educating even before the college level, let's say at a K through 12 type scenario in terms of cyberbullying prevention? Oh, Tony, that's a great question. And absolutely yes. In fact, last year, September of 2011, we developed a relationship with the charter school, which is just blocks from our campus. And what we did was match several of our BSW and MSW students on a one-to-one -one basis with a high schooler who was also interested in engaging in cyberbully prevention. And we developed a project called the Cyber Mentor Project. So each week, every Thursday, our cyber mentors go into that charter school and they work one-on-one -on -one with a student around cyberbully prevention. The student at the high school develops a community service project as part of their educational requirement. And our social work students don't do the project for the students. They simply help guide their work so that they understand and fully can appreciate what cyberbullying is. So that's one of the things I would say that schools of social work absolutely can do because we have students that are interested in getting involved in the community. And this is one of the ways that we can actually do that effectively. Since I sat through your presentation at CSWE this past month, we talked about we've got protocols in place that if there's a fire in the house, we've got a plan in place of where we're going to meet outside, we know what number to call. Same thing if it were a witness to a crime or to a car accident, a vehicle accident, we know what to do, if you will. What ideas or protocols could be taught to faculty, staff, and students to help them deal in the event of cyberbullying? You know, I'd go right back to the Cyber Mentor Project that we developed. We actually created a new student organization. We have multiple student orgs within our School of Social Work, but we saw that in terms of society's use of cyberbullying or engaging in cyberbullying and misusing cyber services, that this was a great opportunity to engage students and use it as, again, a teachable moment. So one of the ideas that I would encourage any school to develop is to develop a cyber mentor project 
where it doesn't have to necessarily focus on cyberbully prevention, but it can focus on responsible use of technology. So we created that project, but we also followed up by writing a small grant to the university to purchase t-shirts for the students that participated in the group. And we also had the students develop a website in which they could share information on responsible use of technology and cyberbully prevention. And finally, I would say, in addition to the Cyber Mentor Project, developing a website, is to develop a policy. Again, that's going to be so critical as we talk about guiding people in their use of technology and social media, to give guidelines, to give expectations, and to provide that in a, in a place where people can easily access it, such as on a website. Social media, as you and I discussed, is a relatively young medium still. In some ways, it, they're most social media sites if at all, are just getting into the double digits in years of being available. Some of them are teenagers in terms of age. So how have you seen and how do you see in the future it affecting the social work profession? Well, I see it affecting the social work profession in that in schools of social work, we're not able to train students on this new medium because, again, it is so new. And the research is only beginning to trickle out, so we don't really understand the impact of the internet, for example, on, on mental health and on mental illness or creating or exacerbating uh, mental illnesses. So I think with it being relatively new, it affects the profession in that we have to try to stay ahead of the curve, which means I wish schools of social work would take this on and actually integrate it into the curriculum, content on responsible use of technology and, again, the impact on, on mental health specifically. And Tony, if I can say this, I've been hearing through the grapevine that the next edition of the DSM, the DSM-5, that is, I believe, scheduled to be available in May of 2013, is going to be carrying a new designation with it, Internet Use Disorder, which is going to capture individuals that are suffering or being challenged by addictions, addicted to Facebook or addiction to cell phone use or technology use. It's going to be acknowledged and seen as a viable challenge to people, a viable mental illness. And so that begs the question, are there guidelines for social work professionals existing today? And if so, are they actually still current? Yes, there are guidelines. In fact, in 2005, the National Association of Social Work and the Association of Social Work Boards actually developed a set of standards to help guide our practice as social workers in cyberspace. But with technology being such a quickly evolving phenomenon, as you might imagine, policies are quickly not in step. For example, when our NASW, ASWB developed their set of standards, Twitter and Facebook hadn't even been created yet. They hadn't been developed yet. Twitter and Facebook have only been around since 2006, 2007. And again, our policy was developed in 2005, two years before the onset of social media. So to answer your question, if we're still current, it's not current because it happened before the institution of those forms of social media. Is there research being conducted within the social work arena that looks at the use of technology within the field, as well as, for that matter, the effect of technology on society in general. And, and if there is, might that help mold revisions to those policies? Well, I'll take your first question, the first part of the question first, whether or not there's social workers 
involved in this field? And the answer, I'm very pleased to say, is yes. In fact, Dr. Faye Mishna, uh, dean over at the University of Toronto, I believe, is actually one of the trailblazers in the area of cyberbully research. And uh, Dr. Frederick Reamer, I believe he's at Rhode Island College, talks about the ethics of online practice regularly. In fact, he conducted a workshop that I attended online a few months ago that specifically talked about the ethics of online practice. And there's a third individual that I've been seeing quite a bit in the literature, Christina Reardon. She's a clinical social worker, freelance writer, and she's written quite a bit on this topic of social work and technology. Now, might that mold future revisions of the existing guidelines? I am very hopeful, yes and I do believe that will happen. In your presentation, you also discussed the different generations and uh, labels for these generations. And so, you know, for the last couple of decades, we are now seeing what are dubbed Generation Y and Generation IY. Would you be able to describe what those generations stand for or who they stand for? Yes, and I'm smiling. You can't see this, but I'm actually smiling <laughs> as you raise the question of Generation Y and Generation IY. Generation IY is marked by the period of time 1981 to 1995, and Generation IY, which is the I is the Internet generation, are those born after 1995. And those two generations, Generation Y and IY, only know life as it exists through technology because they were born into the technology generation. So for this particular population, oftentimes they feel very comfortable using technology. They see it as oftentimes an extension of themselves. It's a part of their fabric. It's how they communicate. When you put those dates into perspective, you're talking that many of the Generation Y and I wires will be in future BSW and MSW programs either starting this coming fall or some of them already today in the classroom, which just begs back to the curriculum being updated to include proper use of technology within the field. What other challenges exist with increasing the use of technology within the social work profession? Well, the challenges exist, as I mentioned, uh, in schools of social work. We don't have content yet that focuses on the influence of technology and social media in our lives, but we know that society is grappling with many of these challenges. I want to give you an example. Just last year, I was watching a local television news show, and there was an interview with the local doctor, Dr. Howard Zulkin, who's written extensively and conducted research in the area of technology and the influence on our lives today. And Dr. Belkin mentioned that 20 to 30 percent of marital infidelity today is instigated via Facebook. That's tremendous. And as social workers, if we're working in marriage and family therapy settings, we need to know that. And we need to know how to best approach those kinds of issues and those kinds of challenges. But again, if we're not talking about those in, in schools of social work, I wonder if we're going to be properly prepared to deal with those issues. Excellent point. Excellent. Well, also during your presentation, you gave us various examples of cyberbullying, but one common theme that I saw throughout those examples was the term digital footprint. So could you help define for us or give us an idea of what the digital footprint is, as well as give some advice to social workers on how to best protect that footprint? When I talk to my students, I teach an intro course here at the university for non-majors. 
And when I talk to students, I'm really careful to make sure very early on that I infuse content related to this specific area. With technology being so readily acceptable, our cell phones, our tablet devices, our iPad devices and others, and with it influencing the way that we communicate, it's important that we are aware that whatever we communicate is no longer anonymous. Oftentimes people believe that they don't include their email address or their name on an email or communication post, that somehow it's anonymous, and that's no longer the case. The example I gave when we conducted the workshop at CSWE is when we walk into a room, we usually touch a doorknob or we touch the door as we enter the room. When we sit down in a chair, we maybe touch the side of the chair, we place our handprint on top of the table, and we touch things as we move throughout that room. Well, on the Internet, it's the same philosophy. When we open our Internet page, we're connected automatically through our IP address, which is our Internet protocol address. That IP address really serves as our digital footprint or digital fingerprint. So wherever we visit, if we go to a website looking at a school or shopping online or even visiting a friend or a non-friend on Facebook, we're leaving our fingerprints all over the place so it's no longer anonymous. So I'm real careful to share with students when they post information to individuals' Facebook wall and they think they're being anonymous that they're not being anonymous. It's very easy to trace communication back to a computer or to a telephone or a cell phone that is through the IP address because every item that runs on data, again cell phones, tablet devices, laptop devices, computers, have their own individual IP address which serves as the fingerprint. As more schools of social work start to increase their use of technology within their courses and or their programs, could you share with us some basic netiquette ideas, and even, if you will, describe what netiquette is in terms of etiquette, if you will. Yes. In fact, the simple way to see netiquette is to see it as Internet etiquette. It's the behaviors, the values, the expectations that we espouse as we use the, the Internet. And we want to be respectful as we engage others respectful in terms of not posting information that we think will be hurtful or harmful to others. So as we talk about netiquette and the increase of technology within our courses and our schools of social work, I think it's important, again, to provide guidelines. So a couple of years ago in 2010, as a matter of fact, our school of social work actually developed our very first social media policy. And almost as soon as we developed that policy, it was out of date. <laughs> because again, social media and technology is quickly evolving. But aside from having a policy statement, I would really like to see new student orientation as well as new faculty orientation programs actually include content on the responsible use of technology and social media. Because again, we oftentimes make assumptions about the awareness level of people. But again, with technology and social media being fairly new, I think it would be helpful as we help guide people and provide them expectations for the use of those tools. Excellent. And I wanted to give you opportunity, one other thing that you shared with us back during your presentation at CSWE was regards to your Student Institute for Cyber Social Work. If you could share a little bit about that. Yes. In fact, our Student Institute for Cyber Social Work is brand new. It's only been in operation for a couple of months now, but I feel that as a school of social work, again, I mentioned earlier, it's important to help train and expose students as well as faculty and staff to social media and technology tools. 
So one of the ways we've done that is to develop that Student Institute for Cyber Social Work. And I'm very pleased to say, Tony, that as of November 12th, we hired our very first virtual intern. The virtual intern is a young lady who's working on her doctorate at an online university in higher education. She has agreed to work with us a full year, 20 hours each week. And what she's going to do is help us to operationalize this new cyber institute. I mentioned before that we have several projects that are running independently that are all technology-based. But we know it's important to bring them under an umbrella so that it's more easier to understand the philosophy and what we're actually trying to teach. Let me give you a couple of examples. Under the Student Institute for Cyber Social Work, we wrote a grant to an organization called the Community Telecommunications Network. And the Community Telecommunications Network is a community-based organization, and they provide high-speed Internet service. That's their reason for existing. So they provided us, I believe we have now about 55 individual hotspot devices. And those hotspot devices are now 4G service. That's the fastest service you can get for the Internet. And we now provide those to students in our online BSW program, as well as students that are engaged in our Cyber Institute. The purpose of giving those students those hotspot devices is to increase their use of technology on a regular basis and their responsible use of technology. So they take those hotspot devices, they use them in their communities, they don't set parameters, they keep them open so that it's an open access. And they also use them within their field internships. If I can share just a little bit more about the Institute for Cyber Social Work, we're also training students specifically, student leaders that have expressed an interest in cyber social work. We're training them how to infuse social media and technology in direct practice as social workers in training. We're also teaching them how to market their skills beyond the traditional paper resume. We're teaching them how to create websites so that they can demonstrate their unique skills, which will make them much more marketable as they project out to those professional positions in the field. Very good. Dr. Joyner, I want to thank you for talking to us today on both the cyberbullying prevention as well as cyber social work, very timely topics. As schools are addressing this, we are here at the School of UB, and as you're doing so out there at Wayne State. Again, thank you for taking the time to allow for this recording, and it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Tony. I enjoyed the opportunity. You've been listening to Dr. Janet Joyner discuss cyberbullying and cyber social work practice on In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu.